Are you the CEO of your life in biz? I'm Emily Alderson, and I'm on a mission to elevate the beauty industry one success story at a time. If knowledge is power and seeing is believing, imagine what could happen if you expanded your mind to the possibilities. What kind of shift could you make happen? This is Stories with Stylists. with another episode of Stories with Stylus. Um, Haley, today is going to be a really cool interview. Um, you get the award for like furthest away interview I've ever had. So <laughs> yay. <laughs> um, she is a hairdresser in England and she has a really cool background where she switched gears and changed careers for a bit and we'll get into that. And now she's helping hairdressers avoid burnout um, and really just love what they do again. So thanks for being with us. Oh, thank you. Thanks for asking me. So first question for everyone, which we kind of went over this in the beginning, I always ask, uh, where are you from and what led you to cosmetology? But since they do it different in the UK, you can go ahead and explain. (laughs) You just don't do it like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I started hairdressing at 17, which is actually a little bit late for over here. People can be like 15, 16. Um, But I went to college for a little bit doing something else first. I studied media studies for a year uh, I was gonna I wanted to record sound and work on the radio anyway I got I've been that off <laughs> and became a hairdresser and the reason I decided to become a hairdresser was um I thought my hairdressers were cool <laughs> it's so sad I used to go and have all these hair extensions in dreadlocks and stuff when I was 17 and I just thought the hairdressers were so cool uh, and they wanted an assistant and I wasn't enjoying college, so I just quit and went to work for them, which was kind of strange. Uh, but I loved it, you know. I went because I just was daft and a teenager, but I actually loved it. Uh, and so how it works over here is you do four days. It's a five-day job. You do four days in a salon, uh, assisting, so washing hair, basically, cleaning. And then one day a week you go to college. And that's where you learn, you know, all the stuff about follicles and all the things and effleurage and, you know, how to shampoo, (laughs) all that stuff that we forget. Um, And you learn very basic hairdressing in college, you know, and then you do that for two years. And then uh, by the time I'd done two years, I'd moved salons by this point. Uh, I went to more of a fancy salon Uh, and you train then for another two years when you leave college in salon. So then you call it, we used to call it a Vardera. And what it means is higher than assistant, not qualified. So you just spend your days perfecting your craft, learning to cut and color hair. And then so by the time you've done four years training, as I did, you know, you're good, you're decent. And so that's how it works. So I worked at this little mad shop where I had my dreads, not for very long because it was cool, but it was chaos. Uh, And my (laughs) colleagues were like, I think you should go to a fancy shop. I think you'd be good. And I was like, okay. So they put me in what I'd call a fancy hairdressers in the center of Manchester. And I worked there for a few years. And then this was mid nineties cause I'm 45. Um, and then Tony and Guy came to town and that was that. And I went to work for Tony and Guy 
Uh, and, and just before I went to Epitone Guy, I was going to quit because I wasn't really enjoying it. And now I look back, I was burnt out. I was t- being taken advantage of as an assistant, really, you know. I was the first one there, the last one to leave. I didn't sit down. I didn't get breaks. Uh, and I was sick of it. And then, to be fair, I was offered a job at Tony and Guy. I didn't apply. They offered it to me because I specialized in color. Um, I can't even do a haircut. I can barely blow dry. I'm a color specialist. Um, but we were gold dust back in those days. People didn't specialize in color here. And so they asked me to go and work for them and said, we'll train you up better. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go. And it's so funny when I look back because it was the big turning point for me starting to like it and enjoy it and realizing I could actually make proper money. So I went, so I went for Tony and Guy. So that's kind of, and then, so I varded at Tony and Guy and it was in their heyday. So they paid for me to go to London and stay in hotels and train with their best staff. So I, I feel I was lucky because I, I hit that company at the right time, you know, sure. when they were just the coolest. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how Tony and Guy are in America, but they were so cool here. I think at some point there was a very cool. Yeah. This was night. We're talking the 90s, mm-hmm. you know. It was yeah. 1995 when I started working for Tony and Guy. And then I worked for them for 10 years. Did you? Mm-hmm. Um, and how did that look like? Did you do education with them or you were just in the salon? I did everything. Um, I worked my way up to what they used to call an art director. So I, you know, I was one of the most senior colorists in the salon. Um, I started educating for them. There was a time as well when L'Oreal had their training academy in our salon in Manchester before they had an academy. So I could do any course I wanted at any time. So I was so lucky. But then I started educating for Tony and Guy as well. So I also taught what we call MBQ, which you call cosmetology school. Mm-hmm. Um, this is, I, I taught the juniors, the assistants for a few years, you know, so I taught basic hairdressing. And then I sort of taught advanced colour for Tony and Guy for a few years. I worked in their academies. Um, but I also worked all over the show for Tony and Guy. I moved around in the 10 years. So I started in Manchester and then I moved to Brighton, which is just south of London. And then I moved over to the Brussels salon in Belgium and I worked there as well. Mm-hmm. Wow. And then I moved back to Manchester. But so in that 10 years, I did a lot for them. And I did a that little bit a of lot. training for Weller when I was in Belgium as well. Did you feel like at that time you needed to like build up a clientele in each place or because they were in new salons and had a big vibe, people just kind of came to you? Yeah, yeah. It was, like I say, it was very much the heyday of Tony and Guy. So the salons were packed, you know, and I didn't really have to, I just, when I, when I got bored and wanted to move, I would just find out, you know, you just ring head office and say, who's hiring? And then, you know, just see which Tony and Guy wanted a technician and then you just went. And I didn't even have to do it. Like, we call it a trade test, you know, where you turn up and you do some highlights and someone sees mm-hmm. if you're good enough. I didn't have to do any of that because the bosses just used to ring each other and be like, is she any good? Yeah, she's all right. Brilliant. Hire her. And that was it. So it was really easy, actually. I had it really easy I look, when I look back in lots of ways. Or I just think I was in the right place at the right time. Yeah. I mean, it is such a different reality I think that to 
to have that freedom of flexibility. Whereas now Mm -hmm. I feel like coming up, it's so important to like grow a clientele, Mm -hmm. maybe shifting a little bit out of it now, now with Instagram and you can really promote yourself to the masses. Unlike before where you really were more dependent on the salon. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't have Instagram then, but I sort of didn't need it, you know, because Tony and Guy promoted itself. Mm -hmm. That's what people would do. And, but I think uh, I left Tony and Guy in 2005. And I sort of think that around that time, I call it the rise of the independence. That's what happened in England. I think that people were starting to move away from franchise salons. They weren't feeling as looked after because they were just getting busy, busy, busy. And a lot of people who worked at places like Tony and Guy or Vidal Sassoon's, they were leaving and setting up their own places and taking all the good staff, you know? So the independent salon, like the little boutique salons became the place to be. So I left. (laughs) Do you think that largely, yeah, has to do with what the consumer wants? Like they just wanted something different. They wanted a more intimate experience. I think so. I think, you know, I think in the nineties, I mean, this is just my experience, you know, but I think Sassoon's were the place to be in the eighties, Tony and Guy were in the 90s and then by the 2000s it was the independence I just think I think the franchise model wasn't working quite so well I think they expanded really fast Uh, and I think that the clients started to feel less of a personal touch you know and I think they just got a little bit too busy and they could see that the staff were you know harassed stressed Maybe mm-hmm. the experience wasn't the same for them. You know, people started to use words like conveyor belt, you know. Oh, people don't sure. like to be in salons where they feel like they're in a conveyor belt. And I don't think this is, um, I just think that that's just not a nice experience for us, for anyone. And I think that that was what I was hearing a lot at that time, you know. But I'd, I'd had clients there for 10 years, obviously, you know, because uh, I had clients in Manchester and then I moved around. And when I came back, I got them back. <laughs> it's funny, you know, and some of those clients that I, I did at Tony and Guy, I still do. Really? Today, honestly. Yeah. People will follow you, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So then I went to work in an independent salon that my friend set up. How long were you there until it started to kind of decline? <laughs> <laughs> nine years. I worked at my friend's salon for nine years and it was a brilliant, it's, it is and was a brilliant salon. It's still a really lovely salon in Manchester. Um, and, you know, the standards are high. Uh, but the contribute, my burnout, my burnout happened in this phase that the, when I decided, when, when I quit hairdressing happened uh, at, the, at my friend's salon. Uh, and it was a number of things, really. I think I was struggling personally with depression. And my, so my coping strategies were, well, I didn't have any, <laughs> um, you know, so I was raw. I think about it like that when I look back now, you know, someone complaining was so much of a big deal to what it would be now. And I think of it, it's like I was just so raw and fragile that anything that was even a little bit bad was so magnified to me. Also, though, you know, I had a pretty high maintenance clientele, you know, um, these were demanding women. And so I think it was a perfect storm of a lot of things. And also, I always say this, I was about 35-ish when this happened. Um, I think that's about the age where people take stock and go, is this it? Is this what I'm doing now? 
is this my yeah. life? And I was mm -hmm. like, no. So mm -hmm. I think there was a few things going on. I was sort of thinking, well, I've been doing this 20 years. I don't know if I can do it for another 20. I'm done. The salon was busy. My clients were hard work. And also, oh, were they? I mean, I don't know. I think they were a little demanding. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were a little demanding. Um, but I also think I just didn't have the personal energy or strength to let it wash over me. Yeah. You know, I was in a phase where I took everything so personally. When I look back at it now with a little bit more, you know, a bit of more hindsight and a bit more balance, I see it was a lot of things that contributed to that. Yeah, I know. It is so interesting that you say that because I kind of went through my own like burnout journey and then starting to work on personal development and working mm -hmm. with the therapist and like doing all the things. And that same client that did that to me, I didn't realize it really then. And then yeah. I saw her in a different way. And I had yeah. a friend to me say, she hasn't changed. You have, <laughs> you know, and exactly. that's really, that's really what it was. Mm -hmm. I put up with all that shit because I hadn't really no self worth. And so I just yeah. thought that's what it was, you know, mm -hmm. but really, you know, when you get into your own, you're like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Yeah. Either I'm not going to put up with it or it doesn't affect me. You know, yeah, I can I like, think let so. it go. And I also think this, I think there's a phase of hairdressing. I think it changes in your 30s. Like in my 20s, I wanted to learn. I wanted to be amazing. It was important to me to be the best. I thought I was fabulous. You know, I thought I was all that as a colorist. Uh, and I lived for that. And I was traveling the world and educating. You know, I thought it was amazing. Um, and I was busy. And I used I say sometimes hairdressing can be like working in A&E. It's frantic. You're on a timeline. You're on, you know, is there color on the shelf? Who knows? You know, it's madness. It's hard, you know, and you've got to behave like, you know, you're on the floor behaving. Everything's lovely. And I just got to the point where I just didn't want to do that anymore. I was starting to find it um, trivial. Mm -hmm. I think that's where I was. But I think this is all about where I was in my life. Life. I was getting a bit deep I was fed up and I was getting a bit serious and I was asking big questions of life and hairdressing started to feel a little bit just daft to me I was like there's real problems people <laughs> you know and I see that that was me really that was me and where I was but I just think also many people want a change of pace in their 30s in their hairdressing life what was fun in your 20s is not so much fun in your 30s. And I think that's fine. And I think the reason, I always laugh, whenever I get a new coaching client, I ask them how old they are. And you can just bet your boots are in their early 30s. Because <laughs> I always go right on time. It's uh -huh. just, it's when you go, is this what I'm doing? Am I happy? Can I do this anymore? Do I even want to? And I think all hairdressers have a phase where they have to ask themselves that, am I going to do this? Can I do it? Or am I going to do it in the same way? And I think a lot of people who stay in hairdressing for the long haul, it's because they evolve and they change how they do it. You know, maybe you don't double book anymore. Maybe you're in a smaller salon. Maybe you get your own place, you know, whatever. I don't know. But I think that's the, the secret to sticking it out. Yeah. I've talked to several hairdressers that have 
you know, done it 30 plus years, 20, 30 mm -hmm. years. And, and I think a lot of it is that kind of like ebb and flow shift in your career, be okay mm -hmm. with, be okay with opening a salon and then closing the salon. If that doesn't feel yeah. good anymore, mm -hmm. be okay with doing education and then not, if it doesn't feel good mm -hmm. anymore. Yeah. Here we have like booth rental and commission. Mm -hmm. So it's a different like pay base. I'm not sure how it works there, but it's kind of the same. It's the same. Yeah. We call booth rental chair renting. Mm -hmm. You just rent same. a space. It's the same yeah. thing. You're, you're technically self-employed. You pay your own taxes mm -hmm. or you're employed, which means you get a commission. Yeah. Same. Yeah. So it's the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chair rental yeah. makes more sense because there's no actual booth. <laughs> well, I had to check this <laughs> out. I checked chair. this out with my American <laughs> friends. I was having this conversation the other day. I was like, tell me what booth rental is. It makes no sense. I had this sort of little picture of you getting this little corner. <laughs> like a cubicle. I was like, yeah. I was like, it sounds so nice. Oh, and you have studio suites which yeah. is just, um, we don't have those in England. That is okay. not a thing. They are I just popping up like one. crazy now. I yeah. think that needs to be a thing here. Mm -hmm. I want to open some. <laughs> I think, I just think it'd be such a good idea. Um, it's like a nice hybrid between mm -hmm. having your own salon in quotes yeah. and like booth rental or whatever. Like it's your, mm -hmm. it's your little space. And yeah, people well, can do like multiples. You can have like one or two chairs. Yeah, or, you can yeah, have a double. So cool. Mm -hmm. I hear about the doubles. I think what's becoming popular in the UK is people are sort of um, setting up little salons in their houses or in their gardens. Mm -hmm. You know, so they, they're sort of building a chalet in their garden and turn it yeah. into a salon. And I think, I don't think that would happen if we had suites. Right. Because, yeah. you know, you know, I mean, I currently have a home salon um, and that's because that I couldn't find, I didn't want to work in a salon anymore. And I was looking for suites because I know you guys have them or I was looking for something similar, but there's nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's just not a thing here yet. We need to catch up. There you go. There's your next venture. <laughs> it's the next one. Yeah. So tell me about how you are like, I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going to change careers. So, like I say, I was about, in my, I think I was about 35, 34, 35. And like, I thought to myself, right, yeah, you're not doing this for the rest of your life. That's just not going to happen. Um, and, and like I say, I was having therapy at the time and I got interested in it beyond me. You know, I was getting to a place where I was feeling a bit better, but I still wasn't particularly loving hairdressing, you know. I think I decided I was out. And then I just sort of thought, I want to do what you do to my therapist. And I said this to her one day. And so she told me how she trained. And what was amazing was, and this is hilarious, you could pay monthly. And that was the cincher for me because I could afford it. You know, right. I couldn't have afforded to go back to school and pay thousands and thousands. But the way it works at this private school was you could pay monthly. And I was like, well, I can do that. I could sustain that. So that's what I did. So I dropped, I think I dropped a day at the salon or I had, to, I used to, I trained as a therapist. It took four years and it was two days a month and you had to be in full-time therapy for the whole of your training. So I've just had buckets of it, you know, you yeah. I'm sort of sick of talking about myself. Um, <laughs> so that's what I did. And, you know, I, I sort of think I, I'm amazed I pulled it off, you know, cause it took four years. I didn't yeah. get disheartened, but what I thought was, I'm at the peak, I'm probably at the peak of my earning power. If I don't spend money and retrain now, I won't. 
because I could see I was going to have to slow down as a hairdresser, which meant my money would go down. That's how I thought about it at that time, um, because it's all bums on seats, you know. So, yeah, I, so that's what I did. And then when I qualified, I quit. Um, and I, I had a private practice as a therapist. Uh, I did that a couple of days. So I sort of had a room, you know, uh, and I saw clients. And then I also worked in... Um, we call it a sixth form college. So it's, it's college for kids, but it's the age group 16 to 19. So it's okay. just before you go off to university. And so I worked in a, a college and I gave therapy to teenagers. Did you find any kind of parallels between building that clientele or working with oh styling clients? It's just the same. It's so funny. <laughs> Honestly. I mean, I was, I was, uh, I was telling you earlier that how hairdressing is an unregulated thing in England. You know, there's yeah. no, there's no regular, there's no regulations for therapists either. It's totally mental. <laughs> I don't understand it. Um, so I ended up in these unregulated things, you know, trying to go, honestly, I've been to school. Um, but also, yeah, being a therapist is similar because you know, like when you're a hairdresser, you can't just get up and move across the country and then go to work and have a full salary again. That's just right. not happening. You know, you've got to, so also, you know, if we decide to move across the country, that's a massive move. You're not just going to get a job and they're like, Hey, we'll pay you. You're going to start from nothing again. So mm-hmm. it takes so much more preparation, you know, and therapy is just the same. You're tied to an area because that's where your clients are. I mean, now not so much. It's funny because now I talk to everyone on zoom. Right. That wasn't a thing then. Yeah. And also the pandemic has helped with that. Now we're just like, yeah, we just do it on Zoom. So yeah, it was kind of similar. Uh, I liked it because I got to sit down. That was a joy after years of standing up. I like sitting down. That was nice. Um, but I'll tell you what happened to me when I was a therapist. After, after the novelty wore off and I was just so excited to be out of hairdressing, after a couple of years, I started to feel lonely because, you know, you're not just... It's funny, when I left hairdressing, I was so sick of the chitter-chatter, you know, just talking about shoes and boys and Netflix and the X Factor. And I just was absolutely over it. I was so irritated by that chat. Uh, And then when I was a therapist for a few years, I was desperate for a conversation about Netflix. You know, I was just like, I miss that chit-chat and that lightness. And I needed the balance. Yeah, I needed the balance. And so I noticed that my mood was taking a nosedive again after a few years of being a therapist. And it's for a few reasons, but it was like, I talked to people who were sad, uh, well, young people who were sad most of the day. Um, And that's hard because when you're a therapist for young people, you go to war for them. Like you like warrior for these people, much more than adults. You worry about them more, you know, because they don't have, they don't have the same ways of looking after themselves. So it's really draining. Um, But I realized that a a lot of the reason my mood was taking a nosedive was my support network wasn't good enough. It wasn't just that, it was other stuff, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the the point when I, I was always getting offered jobs as a hairdresser when I was a therapist, because I told you I'm a colorist and we're like gold dust. Well, we were, (laughs) everyone's a colorist now, but they weren't. And there was a real phase in England that you were you cut hair or you coloured it, you didn't do both. I came from that era and it's changing now. Uh, The fashion is going back to being what we call an all-rounder 
or even it's becoming people of color specialists, it's becoming favored. But in those, it, when I was, all this was going on for me, it wasn't. So I was in demand. And so I was always getting offered jobs as hairdressers. And I was like, no, see, I'm a therapist now. I'm not interested. Okay. And then one day my friend was like, Hayley, we are desperate for a colorist. And I was like, I'll do you a day. Just a day, just a cheeky one. Because I thought that would be a nice balance. I'd be sure. a therapist. I'd use my brain and that would be lovely. But I'll just go and play at doing hair for a day. And that's what I did. And that was good for a bit. And then I started to notice after maybe six months of doing that, that I was happier on the days I was going to the salon. And that was a revelation to me. I can't even tell you. I never thought I would feel like that ever again. I was just confused. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought, what is happening? But I was, and I didn't ignore it. And so I went back to full-time hairdressing. I think it's so important though to kind of take stock in your mood and how you're feeling at different times because yeah. had you just gone, 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 or even just told yourself, I did all this work to become a therapist, that's what I'm gonna yeah. do. I can't go back, you know. But mm -hmm. yeah, just kind yeah. of noticing I yeah. better here. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, I certainly had that conversation with myself of Oh my God, Haley, you spent so much money training all that time just to go back and be a hairdresser. What are you doing? But I think this is what's interesting is what I learned as a therapist was I learned how to control my mood and I learned, I learned the contributing factors. I learned to look at the big picture instead of being so inwardly focused on my mood. I, I started to get better at learning, well, what's contributing to this? Uh, and what contributes to someone you know, be resi resilient the word I use for my business, but how, how is someone resilient? And because I'd learned about that, I got it. Um, and so I quit, you know, <laughs> again. <was> that. Okay. <laughs> and I quit again. Yeah. There's more quitting, <laughs> <laughs> but that was about, um, Oh, I'm going to say four years ago. I think that I quit being a therapist and, went back into a salon and then I left that salon maybe about a year ago mm -hmm. and opened where you are now yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm backdooring it again <laughs> <laughs> I I I love that you say you quit and quit again because I think too um just different beliefs or like limiting beliefs around the word quit like don't be a quitter mm -hmm. Yeah. But there's a lot of power in quit. There's a lot of power in no. There's a power, yeah. a lot of power in I'm not going to do that. No, thank you, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, yeah. you need it it's back. Interesting. It's funny. I was on a panel the other day talking about boundaries for this um, hairdressing business conference. And I was asked a question and I was so annoyed because my answer was okay. But I thought of the really good answer later. <laughs> and it's relevant now. So I'm going to give it to you and then I'll feel better. Someone <laughs> gets to hear my better answer. But um, she asked me, what advice I would give to my younger self. And I talked about how I would have looked after my mental health better, but really what that actually means is I would have left toxic environments faster. I think that's how I would, you know, when I was asked on the hoof, I was like, yeah, that's what I would have focused on. But what that looks like in reality is mm -hmm. quitting, quitting sooner, mm -hmm. not putting up with this shit, you know, yep. and realizing that, I mean, my therapist used to say to me, Taylor, you've got to decide if, if you're, you know, can you change the culture where you are or are you just going to get stuck in a struggle? 
and be miserable. You know, sometimes you just can't, so you have to leave. And I was like, oh, because I, I was someone who, I used to think, I ended up you, you being like a union leader in the salons I was in, because I'd be like, this isn't fair. We should all complain, uh, you know, and, I, I'd, and then I'd look around and everyone would be like, oh, no, I'm not going to complain. And then I'd be seen as a trouble causer. Yeah. Because I wanted to stand up for people. Yeah. But, you know, it's tricky and it's a lot of drama. And I sort of am a bit, I'm a bit more of just move on and find what's better mm-hmm. now. So I agree with you. There's power in Yeah. Cutting. And we have it's our not own. failure. I think it's success. No. It is. Yes. It's a huge win for you. Yeah. When you yeah. change yourself for the better, it's a huge win. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, have you ever quit anything and regretted it? I haven't. No. A piano. Oh, okay. I was in like elementary (laughs) school. I know. I was in elementary school and I didn't want to cut my nails and they wanted me to cut. So you. And I wanted long nails. (laughs) You're like, it's not for me. This will never work out. Now, every time I see a piano, I'm sad. I can't just like entertain everyone. (laughs) I could just tinker away. That's the same. That's it, though. But I think about the jobs I've quit or the relationships I've left or, you know, the big things that you leave. Mm -hmm. And when I look back, I generally just think I wish I'd done them all sooner. Yeah. Yeah. That's it, you know? And so, yeah, that, I think that's taking your power back, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think when you tolerate bad behavior, um, you're giving your power away. Yeah. And also not to beat yourself up about, I should have done it sooner. I should have done this or that. Mm. But just in that, that was a lesson. As long as you like learn from it and (laughs) have like a takeaway, take notice of like, okay, what did I learn from this situation? What could I possibly do next time? That's a win too. I totally think that. But I think you got to feel your feelings first, you know? I think sometimes Mm -hmm. you just got to be like sad or mad with yourself or disappointed. And I think you got to, you got to move through that phase before you get to the lessons, you know, otherwise I think that's harsh as well. You know, when you're just like, pick yourself up, Hayley, what did you learn? And it's just like, hang on. I just need, I need to recover and process and Mm -hmm. really learn, have a proper good think about it and have a rest and recoup. And I think that actually I did so much moving around by leaving situations either I wasn't always unhappy sometimes it was just time for a change or I wanted to move country you know or move home but I think sometimes I did so much moving and not enough processing you know Mm -hmm. I was always on to the next thing that I didn't I had no idea what I wanted or what made me happy because I was always on to the next project yeah and so I sort of and I was reading this brilliant book about burnout recently and they talk about finishing the cycle and that so many of us don't finish the cycle and it's like you know burn out be mad be sad whatever and then let it be for a bit you know and and but we all want to fill that uncomfortable space with probably the next project mm-hmm. so I'm trying not to do that now <laughs> <laughs> You're just trying to let things be a little bit more you know Lockdown's so, handy for that. <laughs> lockdown is handy for that. Yes, oh, there's tons of opportunity for self-reflection. Mm-hmm. I just tried to fully embrace this like gift of time that yeah, I would have never, too. 
ever in a million years had before. Mm -hmm. Not that I haven't cried, not that I haven't like thrown things, (laughs) not that I haven't like stayed in bed for Mm -hmm. a few days, (laughs) you know, and just like be upset. But um, yeah, yeah, it's okay. Feel the feelings and then like, what else can I do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. You got to go through it. You can't avoid it. You know, that's the thing. And it's crap sometimes, you know, it's hard, but it is what it is. (laughs) So what, where did you change in, into your coaching um, system now in your model and how did that all kind of come about? I mean, I imagine it's like a natural Mm -hmm. progression. You've already been but in a different aspect. Well, that's funny because I didn't think of it. It's it's hilarious. So um, about 18 months ago, I was chatting with one of my clients, one of the ones from Tony and Guy, like I've had her since the 90s. And she's a life coach. And she wasn't a life coach when I met her, but she is now. And she's done all sorts of things. And she's a great person to talk to. And I was talking to her and I was basically saying to her one day, I need a passive income. I've listened to all the podcasts. I know what it is I need. I need a passive income. I can't stand behind a chair for the rest of my life again. But I also can't sit in one, you know. Uh, if, if you're relying on, um, you know, client to client for your income, you know, it finally dawned on me in my 40s, you don't get rich like that. So uh, I was chatting with her about passive income. And basically she said this to me, you need to think about what's special about you. And I was like, oh, okay. I'll have a think about that. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm a therapist and a hairdresser. That's what I know. And that's kind of weird. Um, and then as I was talking to her about this and we sort of, you know, through talking to her, I just developed this idea that I would try and help hairdressers because of, you know, when I said I made that connection where I wasn't stressed anymore. And so I tried to put that into something tangible. And so my first plan was to make an online course. I was like, yeah, I'm going to make an online course and sell that all over the world. And that'd be amazing. And then I was like, oh, it's really hard. (laughs) And I don't know know how to do it. And it's quite expensive. Mm. Um, And I just didn't have a clue. And so I was chatting with one of my friends one day and she was like, well, what can you do now? And I was like, well, I've written these work. I've written a workshop. um, I've written something, but so I was like, well, I could get in my car with a flip chart and I could go and teach people. And so that's what I did. And so I, that's it. I, I wrote this, it's, an, it's a cracking workshop. People love it. I wrote this workshop and I sort of started testing it out. So I just, I approached hairdressers that I know. They came to my house. I did it from, and they were like, Hayley, this is good. They were like, honestly, this is good. And then I approached a couple of salons, like people I spoke to on Instagram. And I was like, do you fancy this? And they were like, yeah, cool, come and do it. And like the feedback was brilliant. People were like, people need to know about this. So I got some confidence then. And then people wanted to hire me and I was like, wow, this is good. So then I upgraded to a PowerPoint. I'm fancy now. I have a screen and a PowerPoint. Um, and then I even upgraded. I have a really pretty PowerPoint now that someone designed for me. Uh, And that's what I did. And I did that for a a year. I did my workshops live. I get in my car, I drive to salons, I stay in hotels overnight if they're far away and I deliver my workshops. And I love it because I like connecting with hairdressers in person. And we always 
laugh because it's funny, you know, like hairdressers have got a shocking sense of humor. You know, you go in any staff room and the, the humor's dark in there, you know. It's real inappropriate. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It's dark survival humor. Mm-hmm. And hairdressers are funny and we like laughing about what's hard about hairdressing. And, you know, and the conversation always comes, you know, people start talking about their Karen, their awful client, you know, and we just laugh and it's funny. And so it's really fun. So I love that. And then I wrote another workshop. Um, uh, and then I do that and that's just cool. But now I can't even remember what your question was. <laughs> me either. <laughs> you asked me how I, trans- how I, you asked me how I became a coach. So there is, there is an answer. So this is how I started. I didn't think about being a coach. It never occurred to me ridiculously. I just thought I want an online course, can't afford it. I'll do a workshop. And then I got contacted by someone halfway across the world who said to me, I really like your stuff. I can't get to a workshop, obviously. (laughs) Um, How can I work with you? Um, And, and, you know, she told me how she was struggling and I thought, I want to help this. I want to help this person. And I just said to her, well, I could talk to you on Zoom if you like, you know, we could speak one-on-one and I'll see if I can help you. And I was like, should we have a chat on Zoom and see what we think? And that's what we did. And she was like, I'm in, I want to hire you. And I was like, okay. And that's how it started. And I was just like, oh, okay, I'll coach, I'll coach this person. And so I spoke to one of my friends who's a coach and she used to be a therapist like me and she became a coach. And I was like, taught me through the difference. Can you help me a little bit? Can you supervise me just to make sure that I don't, it's not therapy, you know, and I would revert into therapy if not careful. Because, you know, these are not conversations about your mom. It's coaching, it's different, it's business focused. But I think what's good about my background in therapy is if it teeters into emotions, I'm all right with that. People Mm -hmm. cry on me, I'm all right with that. You know, it's fine. And so... I imagine that my coaching differs to some people's coaching, you know, but um, I think about coaching as there's a moving forwardness, <laughs> and I think about therapy as acceptance. Mm. And I think that's kind of the difference. And I imagine that my coaching straddles those a little bit. But to answer your question, that was how I started coaching. It was just somebody asked me. And then I thought, oh, this is clever. <laughs> I should do this. And so I just put it on my Instagram. I'm offering coaching and people came. How did that first client find you? Were you already posting things on your Instagram? Yeah, so I'd been, um, I'd been on Instagram at that point for about six months. I had my year anniversary uh, a couple of weeks ago of in my Instagram my business. <laughs> and I think so the resilient hairdresser as a concept is about 18 months old you know I thought about it I wrote my workshops and then one day I just thought you're gonna have to get on Instagram now uh, mm-hmm. and I didn't really know how to do it I mean I did I was on Instagram as a hairdresser but you know it's different and so I just thought you're just going to have to start because then the pressure will be there for you to do it. And that's what I did. So she found me through Instagram. It was mental. But, you know, if you want to talk to hairdressers, get on Instagram. That's where they live. Yeah. That's where we live. For sure. Where yeah. we live. 
know are you on instagram every day i am yeah yeah (laughs) so i think you know i always yeah hairdressers hang out on instagram so that's what happened but it also spread by word of mouth my workshops spread by word of mouth um so yeah that's it people find me on instagram because that's the only place i am (laughs) i have a website now yeah i have a website now i'm fancy fancy it's official (laughs) i did i mean i just had instagram for uh, i don't know six months longer yeah my website's been out i don't know uh, six months something like that you know i mean i i think there really kind of are no rules anymore like there are the general like you should have this you should have that you should have that but Mm -hmm. i know a coach who made a million dollars and all she had was facebook Mm-hmm. that's it no yeah. website no email marketing no mm-hmm. and she just built her following that way so yeah we trust stuff more you know mm-hmm. I found my coach on Instagram I was like I've been following for a couple of, she's American I followed mm-hmm. her for a couple of years and I was like I like what she's doing she's mm-hmm. good and then she started a program and I was like I'm gonna join that you know I and- hired my coach I didn't even know what coaching was <laughs> But I was at like a desperate, I was at a desperate mm-hmm. place. Like, I don't know what else to do. I'm just going to throw a bunch mm-hmm. of money at this problem yeah. and hope for the best. And it was the best decision I ever made. And we worked together for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, then once you kind of get into it, and I think also like seeing different possibilities and I realized, yeah. oh, there's hairdressing coaches mm-hmm. and there's coaches for this and yeah. that. And so, yeah, it just kind of like opens you up to opens you up to possibilities. I think when we're in it and we're just doing hair and we're working behind the chair, we kind of have tunnel vision and mm-hmm. yeah, opening, working with a coach and opening yourself up to possibilities. I think mm-hmm. that's been like the biggest shift for me. Me too. Me too. And it's interesting because like my client, I was telling you about the life coach, well, she's a business coach actually. I think, I think she does all those, all the things. Yeah. I don't know. I just talked to her, you know, um, but she was on my list like I wanted to hire her properly instead of you know her just giving me nuggets when I was doing her hair and she was lovely she used to say Haley, just phone me I'll answer your questions but I wanted to pay her but she could she cost a fortune you know so I was kind of in my head saving up for that but then um I started to re- and then I, I spoke to a couple of other coaches um th- the area I live in was actually offering free business coaching to people who were starting out. And so I applied as well for that. But what I learned, and this is my point, is that nobody understood hairdressing. And so they couldn't help me. I spent all my time explaining to them how the hair industry worked. So I was educating them, but I wasn't getting anything back. And so it dawned on me that I needed a coach that understood the hair industry. Because I was talking about selling education to hairdressers not growing a hairdressing business but they kept saying do this and I was like that won't work for hairdressers do this that won't work for hairdressers and they were like why not and I was like because they're not corporate they're not interested they won't they won't like that and so it it dawned on me I needed a coach that was a hairdresser yeah so I started looking (laughs) and then turned into one <laughs> and well, I turned yeah, I turned into one, and I got one. Yeah, <laughs> I got I got a coach who was educating hairdressers. Mm. You know, it's like 
you need to see it to be it. You know, this is what I used to say to the teenagers when I was therapy is like, you got to find a mentor. You got to find someone who's like you want and, you know, ask the people that are doing it. So I needed a coach that was a business coach for hairdressers. Mm-hmm. No, I, lo- I love that like idea of having a mentor. And I think Instagram mm-hmm. too is like a great place for that. Like we think that Free these mentors. are just, yes, there mm-hmm. are people out there doing exactly what you want to do in the yeah. way that you want to do it. And especially mm-hmm. if you are at one salon for a long time or in a small town or you don't see the yeah. possibilities, mm-hmm. they're out there. You know, I was told yeah. like hairdressers don't do this. You have to look like this. You have to mm-hmm. show up like this and present yourself like this. And I'm like, like my old salon owner, he wanted us to have like funky hair and wear all black and do all the things. I'm like, yeah, that's not me. And I am a hairdresser. How, how can I be me and this version of whatever? So Mm -hmm. yeah, you you find like a tribe. (laughs) Exactly that. I worked in the salon once when I was younger, they wanted me to wear heels. They wanted me to wear stilettos to work. I was like, get a grip. If you stood up for nine hours a day, I just refused. <laughs> All the girls I wore, wore heels. Yeah. I wore, I wore heels for boots. a long time, but. Wow. Mm-hmm. How's a your long back? time. We'll find now, but once I was, when it was when I was pregnant and your balance gets off mm. and then I just like, I you lose yeah. fucks. Like, I'm like, yeah. hmm, mm-hmm. conserve, like preserve my body or. Yeah. look cute you know I can yeah. look cute in vans it's fine mm-hmm. of course you can I yeah. find I, honestly I do I mean I know loads of hairdressers who wear heels and I just I think can you feel your feet I just think oh no it's not it's not for me it's never been yeah and it wasn't even my feet it was everything up you know it was my mm-hmm. hips my low back mm-hmm. all of that yeah it affects you and yeah taking care of your body body and mental health you know oh I mean these are the things so I think yeah and I think I mean I struggle with my body now actually Uh, my back and my hips are not so good and I think that's what will end my hairdressing career actually this time I don't think it will be because I want to stop I think it'll be because I have to yeah you know I think that ship is sailing I just talked to a stylist who um her background was in personal training and then she got into doing hair and so now she mm-hmm. coaches people hairdressers you know to take care of their physical yeah. bodies you know so like I, I I that's why I, I mean this podcast I it's for others but I just love making those connections and finding that's like right. all of those different people you know teaming up somebody with you with somebody like her that works mm-hmm. on your whole body inside and out to mm-hmm. give your career longevity if that's what you all want I love it. All of this. I think that, I think, I think we don't, I think hairdressing is such a more complex job than people think, you know, they think it's easy and it's for girls who aren't that smart and you just, Mm. it's so offensive. And I think, but we need to be learning more as hairdressers, you know, we need to learn how to look after money. I didn't figure that out until about, I don't know, five years ago. Um, sadly, I wish someone had told me in my 20s that if you're self-employed, you better get a pension. No one tells you this stuff, you know? It's just like, I wish people told you how to manage, you know, your money properly as a self-employed person. I wish they told you how to look after your body. I wish people were teaching about burnout and how to look after yourself mentally. How do you protect yourself from the energy of people? Mm. You know, how do you do that? And so one of my big dreams is that 
my uh, my first workshop is becomes mandatory in hairdressing colleges you know i just want it to be a thing yeah. that this is what's happening i'm working on it it's, it's in the, it's i'm working on it but you know it's this is i just think i wish i knew this stuff when i was 20 yeah Truly. i wish i saw the hairdressers above me when i was 20 looking after themselves but i didn't i just mm-hmm. saw them smoking not eating lunch and back to back clients and taking people after work and you know working on the weekend at home going home and doing more haircuts and this is what i saw and i thought oh that's what success looks like yeah yeah and i think it's funny too because i think even if i didn't implement everything I learned in my 20s if I had learned yes. it then which I didn't at least it would still be there and kind of I feel like it would have crept in sooner you oh, know you would I don't... have stored it in your brain uh-huh. for when it was necessary you know yeah, just like, like all the things mom always yeah. told me that I thought were annoying but yeah. now I'm like oh she was on um, something <laughs> yeah and but you know the information sat there for when you need mm-hmm. it but whereas I had to go looking for it and create some of it yeah and I had to leave to get the info you know why is the information not within our industry yeah this isn't the point yeah but there's people doing great things now isn't there you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of hairdressers filling these gaps in and I love this because I talk about this rise of the independent I think people get independent like you know once upon a time your education all came from the same places yeah no not anymore Oh, yeah. I'll just watch someone in America on Zoom, thank you, or some Australian, and I'll learn from one particular person. And mm-hmm. you know, so I think hairdressing is gonna it's gonna rise up because of this. I, I, I want the I want the industry to elevate, uh, and I think it will because mo- many more of us are sort of taking responsibility for ourselves and doing it how we want. Yeah, and I think that's so good. I love that so much. I totally, totally agree. Well, thanks so much for doing this and being with us. Where can people connect with you and work with you? So I'm on Instagram as uh, the.resilient.hairdresser. I think it's got dots in. But if you just put the resilient hairdresser It's searchable, yeah. It's easy. There's nobody else. Um, So that's it. I mainly live on Instagram. And if people want to talk to me, they can DM me. Um, I did eventually make that online course which is exciting. Um, so that's launched now. And there's actually a discount code on at the moment for the whole of November. Um, because England's in lockdown, I thought I'd put it on a discount for people while they're not earning. So that's happening. So, and I have a website again, you know, just Google the resilient hairdresser. I come up. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> that's it. Yay. But if people want to talk to me in the DMs, I respond. Okay. Yes. Yes. If you're listening to this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, take a screenshot, tag both of us. We'll love hearing from you. Yeah. I'd like to hear if people enjoyed our chats. Perfect. Well, thank you so much and we'll see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. If you liked it, and I know you did, please don't forget to leave a five-star review. I love hearing from other stylists, so take a screenshot of the episode and tag me in it at Mindful Hair by Emily. If you have a story to share and would like to be on a future episode, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to hear from you. We'll see you guys next Monday with more Stories with Stylists.